So the title of the sermon is, Grandma, is that you? And uh, <laughs> just for the fun of it, <laughs> uh, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 19. But before we get there, I want you to see a picture of two gentlemen. On the left, John Wesley, and on the right, Charles Wesley, right? Got it. Yes. Um, and these are two brothers. Uh, we are a part of the Wesleyan denomination, which um, also is a part of like Methodist uh, arm. So AME, AME Zion, CME, Methodist, um, you know, all of them, if it's got a Methodist in it, that's it. Also Nazarene um, churches also all kind of have um, some influence of these gentlemen, specifically John Wesley. Even the Church of God in Christ has some influence from John Wesley, specifically as it relates to um, entire sanctification, this idea that the Holy Spirit can fill us so much that we love God with our whole self and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a real basic definition of what entire sanctification is. John Wesley, who is the gentleman on the left, is the one who, um, who really kind of started that, that movement. Um, Charles Wesley, his brother, also a theologian, but a hymn writer. Uh, lots of Christmas hymns, like, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Charles Wesley wrote that. Uh, and so the reason why I'm showing you a picture of them is because they also... Um, their whole family has written these journals about their interaction with a ghost. <laughs> um, in uh, 1716, Christmas 1716, for about six weeks, their family documented in journals their interaction with a ghost, which some of us are like, what? That's weird. Yeah. Um, they, uh, it's actually the most well-documented uh, account of navigating some spirit. Uh, there's, there, and the, re the reason why I say a ghost is because that's what they say in the journal. They talk about, so this was in England, 1716 to 1717, um, early in January. And they talk about it sounds and talking about the ways in which it showed itself to them in the house and all that stuff. And it kind of, a few days before Christmas showed up, and then a few, you know, a few weeks into January, it was gone. <clears throat> you can look that up, um, and it's Epworth. Um, Epworth is the city that they lived in, but any kind of Google search for John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and their ghosts, and you can read about it. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I think, oh man, now, man, I can't remember their name they gave. It's like something like Old George or something random like that. <laughs> but, um, oh, Old Jeffrey. Old Jeffrey is the name that one of the sisters gave them. I'm only, talking, I'm only showing you that picture and talking about that because we don't do a good job as Western believers. And what I mean by Western is individuals who have had significant influence from the British Empire. We don't do a good job of acknowledging what we don't fully understand. When we don't fully understand something, we basically just, like, disqualify it. Like, I can't understand it, which means if I can't understand it, I can't control it. 
And if I can't control it, then it's not real. That's really how that works, right? And it's okay that we're honest with that. The, I would say the slippery and dangerous thing with follow, going into that space is God is a spirit who we don't fully understand, who we have no control over. And oftentimes we see worldwide where atheism is the highest is in Western parts of the world that have been impacted by the British Empire. It just is what it is. It's a part of a cultural norm for us to be super cerebral. If I can process it with my brain, then I know that it's real. If I can touch it, it's real. And if I can't, then it's not. And those of us who are Christians... We live in this weird kind of ambiguous gray space where some of it we want and some of it we don't want. We want God. We want the Holy Spirit. We want a resurrected Jesus. We want angels, but we don't want demons and we don't want ghosts. And we don't really want to acknowledge the fact that there are little G gods. (laughs) Because we don't like it. So this conversation, yes, the question is, can our loved ones who have passed speak to us? The answer to that is simple, but I think how we navigate that is much more complex because we also have some cultural barriers to even acknowledging whether or not this is a true thing. We'll talk about the cautions in a moment, but I want to at the very least set that as the foundation that a part of the discrepancy that we have here is not the Bible. It is a cultural discrepancy that we have that says, if you can't see it, you need to question whether or not it's real. And that's, that is not only unbiblical, it is also out of alignment with all of history. <laughs> the reason why this would even be a question is because Throughout all of history, human beings have been engaging in some way, form, or fashion with spirits of either angelic or fallen angelic beings or potentially spirits of people who have passed. And that's why this would even be a question. Nobody is asking a question about whether or not fairies exist. Right? Because we, that's, <laughs> there's no way for us to historically over all cultures point to that. Over all cultures, throughout all of human history, people have engaged with spirits. So there needs to be an acknowledgement that it's a real thing. Right? Okay. So... <clears throat> Um, before we jump in, let's, t- let's talk a little bit about what's going on in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the beginning of 1 Samuel, uh, is about the prophet Samuel being called into ministry. Like some of you will remember the story where he's asleep. He's a little kid. He's asleep. He's been in- being raised by one of the priests, and um, like he hears God's voice, and he gets up, and he goes to the priest, Eli, did you call me? He was like, no, go back to bed. That happens three times. Eli realizes, oh, you're hearing the voice of God. Okay, you're hearing the voice of God. The next time the voice calls you, just say, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. That's the beginning of Samuel's ministry. Samuel is a prophet, also serves as a priest for the people of Israel, specifically before King Saul. 
um, he anoints King Saul. And they skip off into the sunset together until Saul starts acting weird. (laughs) And Samuel and Saul have beef basically all throughout the second half of this book. They are not friends. (laughs) Saul, Samuel does not like Saul because Saul was arrogant, disobedient, and a people pleaser. Um, And um, that's ultimately what happens. So, um, they, Saul and the armies of Israel are about to go into war with the Philistines. Um, and then um, Samuel is afraid. Or excuse me, Saul is afraid of that. Um, and that's kind of where we jump in right now. So let's jump in at verse 3. Meanwhile, Samuel had died. The prophet had died. And all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown, and Saul had banned had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. That's an important setup for what this story is. Um, If we go to Leviticus real quick, there is a law about about employing mediums, a.k.a. psychics, and doing seances um, that says, do not defile yourself by turning to mediums or to those who consult the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord your God. I want, us to not, I want us to not blow past that as though that, that doesn't have significance. Again, we have a cultural barrier. They have a cultural norm of people actually consulting dead folks. <laughs> right? It doesn't show up in the scripture as a, as a law not to do so unless there's a cultural norm to do so. <laughs> so don't do that is what the law is, and that's why Saul kicked out all mediums and people doing seances and whatnot, using their Ouija boards. He was like, go on somewhere with that. So he kicked them out. All right, back into First uh, Samuel. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Have you been in that space before where you're asking God for something and you're not getting nothing? (laughs) That's the panic. That's that feeling. Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call, him, will you call up his spirit for me? <laughs> Are you trying to get me killed? The woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? This whole moment, I'm sorry, sorry. Every time I read this, it's like, what in the world? They're like talking like it's Burger King. Like, like, like tell me what you want on your Whopper. Like, who? (laughs) Anyway, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, 
Saul replied, when the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, you've deceived me. You are Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a God. In your scripture, in your version, it probably has a little g there. They're all capitalized here, but that's a little g. God, um, I think one of the things that's important uh, to, to say out loud, um, definitely not the Old Testament and the New Testament either. Nowhere in scripture does it work hard to convince us that there's only one deity on the planet, in the world, in creation. And I'm not saying that she, that Samuel is a little G God, but the cultural backdrop of scripture is that there is the God, the biggest God, and then there are also smaller gods. That's the cultural backdrop of the Bible you read. I know we don't talk like that all the time, right? So when we see something like this in scripture, she's not like just like, yeah, clearly she's not operating in like, you know, with the power of God. We get that. But at the same time, she's not speaking out of some random superstition. That's their cultural backdrop is that there are little G gods and whomever she sees looks like one of those to her, right? I see a God coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, Saul asked. He is an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Because I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I have called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, why ask me, since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you to the army of Israel, excuse me, you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. <laughs> The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Samuel doesn't like Saul. <laughs> like, he's not sugarcoating it. I know the question is, can our loved one speak to you? But there's no point in the Bible where someone's loved one is speaking to him. This is as close as we got. And Samuel is not a loved one of Saul, but... <laughs> Uh, like he holds nothing back. That's kind of my favorite part of this. Like, and tomorrow you'll be with me. <laughs> like, like, just matter of fact, like, like if you had a question, we, you know what? You should have waited till tomorrow because we're going to see each other. And then I can tell you all about yourself then. <laughs> this is a portion of scripture that in the United States of America and other westernized cult countries, we might just breeze past, like, oh, I got to get to, oh, there's David and Goliath. Okay, David and Goliath. There's David King now. Yay! My favorite parts. This is in the Bible. Another curious thing in the Bible that I love pointing out is when Jesus was walking on water, they 
the first thing that the disciples said is, it's a ghost. <laughs> right? It, they didn't say, like, what is that out there? Like, <laughs> like, they legit just thought it was a ghost. Another thing I love to point out in Scripture is when Jesus died, there were a bunch of people that were dead and buried in Jerusalem that resurrected and were walking around the city talking to people. <laughs> All I'm saying is, as weird as that may feel to us, from a biblical standpoint, neither the authors nor the original audience of Scripture nor the Holy Spirit that inspired it has issues with ghosts. We do. We have an issue with them. We have an issue with the idea of whether or not it's real. And I keep using the word ghost on purpose because I want, like, spirits feels a little bit too soft. It's okay for us to be vulnerable in this space and say that that goes against everything that I've known or thought to be real. It's okay. That's all right. That's a part of growing is for us to have some vulnerable moments. There have been some members of Unison whom have called me. Uh, and one that I can remember, uh, they called. And I said, I have something weird to talk to you about. I said, okay. <laughs> like, listen, I didn't heard a lot at this point. So go ahead. Give it a shot. I feel like there is a ghost in our house, and we feel it, and, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And so they were shocked by the fact that I wasn't shocked by this. <laughs> um, my family even has, not my immediate family, but my mom's family, they have experience with spirits in their home. Um, we as a church family, not necessarily just with the spirits of potentially past individuals, but Demons and angels, there are many members of our congregation who have interacted with both. Saying that all to say, it is, the answer to the question is yes. Can our loved ones who have passed still speak to us a basic understanding of the fact that at the very least it happened once? Samuel was talking to Saul. It happened once. So can it happen? Is it a possibility? Is there an ability for this to happen in the earth? Yes. But there's some cautions. There's some cautions that we need to kind of be aware of. Mediums are not God's way of going about it. <laughs> if you out here getting on Amazon looking for a Ouija board, go on and take it out your cart. <laughs> okay? You're saving it for later, take it off your wish list. That's not the way. <laughs> um, it's, it's not. Um, ultimately, uh, there is, there's this truth to we don't understand a lot about the spirit realm. And that's okay for us to know. Let's talk a little bit about why we don't understand a lot about the spirit realm. When God, creator God, made human beings... Creator God gave human beings dominion in the physical creation, right? Adam and Eve, take care of the earth, cultivate it. You have authority and dominion here. That is, we understand this part really well. Well, Creator God also gave 
angels authority in spirit realm. That's, that's something that has... And there's times where, they, where those two spaces blend. We get that. And we partner with angels in that space. Right? As individuals who are about the will of the Father on both ends of the spectrum natural and spiritual, there are moments where we partner with angels. An interesting thing to think about is fallen angels and or demons, the individuals who are, have authority in that, that uh, spiritual space but are acting in opposition to the will of the Father, don't spend a whole lot of time worried about God. And don't spend a whole lot of time worried about angels. Spend a whole lot of time worried about us. And the reason why they spend a whole lot of time worried about us is because we are the individuals who in the earth bear the likeness of creator God. They have absolutely no authority to stand against God. But they do have authority to mess with us in places where we don't have dominion. Right? So just to say out loud, that's a part of some of the pattern that we see in terms of humanity in spirit realm spaces. A part of why this is not a thing is because God doesn't work through mediums. (laughs) So if there's a medium that's involved, a psychic involved, more than likely, it's also a not Holy Spirit that's involved too. A not Holy Spirit that's involved. If we try to pretend that spirits don't have power in spiritual realms, then all we do is blind ourselves to reality. That's all we do. The reality is there are other powerful spiritual beings that will also call your granny up. (laughs) And the point is, God says, don't. That's not the way in which I want you to interact with spirits, period. Notice nowhere in Scripture does it say, I don't want you to interact with spirits at all. Just not that way. And this is where it gets gray and it gets messy, and I know we want it to be black and white because that's the way we like it in the United States is tell me whether it's good or tell me whether it's bad, and then I'll know whether to do, and it's neutral. It's neither good nor bad, but there's a way that honors God and a way that does not. That is not the way. Another caution is be aware of your motivation for trying to engage with your fallen auntie. Sometimes we're going to spirits, whether asking our ancestors or talking to angels, interacting with demons, because we have a deep longing and yearning for something that we really need to be talking to Jesus about. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. So a rule of thumb for us, no no spirit of my ancestor can tell me something the Holy Spirit can't. Right? That doesn't mean automatically just, ah, don't engage and start rebuking everything that don't feel like that's not God. No. But I am saying to you, if your motivation is, I need to feel connectedness and closeness with this person who's gone, 
There is a way in which that we as believers grieve and mourn the lost that doesn't always involve going to go find them. It is to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I would say as a rule, this is, not, this is not Scripture that doesn't specifically say this, but I would say as a rule, if you're trying to get in touch with a, the spirit of a past loved one, I need you to first ask why and process that with the Lord. If, because there's nothing they can give you that he can't. So, Holy Spirit, tell, show me what's inside myself that makes me want to interact with him. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that when we go sincerely to the Lord with that kind of prayer, the Lord does not keep that mysterious very long. He'll answer that question. Chase, what you're experiencing right now is deep sadness, a deep sadness that you have not yet felt and you don't know how to deal with it. Spend some time with me and I'll help you. Right? If the, uh, if the of a spirit of someone who has passed begins to interact with us, the, I told that unison member um, that, of that spirit that was in our house, I said, uh, the first thing I asked is, is it making you uncomfortable? <laughs> because Initially, we might think, oh, that's going to automatically make you uncomfortable. No, we're around spirits all day long. <laughs> that's just not a thing. So is it making you uncomfortable? She said, not me, but it is making my daughter uncomfortable. Oh, okay. Well, then this is how we navigate that. We have authority here. <laughs> we have authority here. The Holy Spirit has given us authority to say, get out. <laughs> so in all of the caricatures that we see of spirits haunting us, we're victims? No, that is not how this works. Not in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we have authority in that space. And if there's something that's making me feel uneasy, then what I, then what I suggest is you get some oil. <laughs> Listen, you get some oil. And you begin to anoint your home. The way that that looks, as I, like I've, I've done that even here. Some of you are like, what is happening? What are we talking about? <clears throat> Not talking about ghost hunting. <laughs> right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a pattern of when believers speak with authority to spirits that are not the Holy Spirit. They have absolutely no choice but to respond based upon the authority that God has given us. That is, that is just the pattern. It doesn't even have to be hard. It doesn't even have to be forceful. Walk around your house and where you're feeling uncomfortable, speak to it. In the name of Jesus, you have to leave. The way that my grandmother did that, she would open up windows and open up doors and usher them jokers out. <laughs> I know I'm saying it lightly, but there's an authority that we have that we 
that we oftentimes shy away from because we don't understand. Jesus said of all of the things that he has done that the disciples and believers after would do greater things than even he has done. Jesus spoke to spirits all the time. Jesus cursed trees and blessed children. Like the belief that we have no access to that when the Holy Spirit has been given to us is a part of the dangerous side of believing just because I can't understand it or I can't control it, it must not be. Not only do we deny spirits that would seek to harm us spiritually, not only do we potentially uh, disregard and disrespect Creator God, but we also fail to live in the authority that we have simply because we choose to ignore one element of creation. And that's okay for us to say we don't get it. That's all right. There's a lot about what it is to walk with God that we don't get. It's okay. And in that vulnerable space of not understanding, we can go to the Lord and say, God, I really don't know what to do right now, but I feel something. Holy Spirit, you tell me what to do. Holy Spirit, you guide me through this. And when we do, our home no longer has that which is there that has made us uncomfortable. Last thing, um, uh, the safety in numbers. I say the safety in numbers um, because that's a reminder. The reminder is don't forget the safety in numbers. What I mean by that is there are people who are a part of the body of Christ who have a spiritual gift called discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. Sometimes we just think about that as just discernment, which is the ability to make really good decisions in the moment, which that's legit, right? That's more so from a biblical standpoint, wisdom. The spiritual gift of discerning of spirits is there is, when I walk into this room, I feel something in my spirit. And it feels like it came from the Lord, and I want to sit with it. Or it feels like "Mm -mm, that is not on God's side. And I don't necessarily feel like I need to do anything, but I ain't hanging out in that corner. (laughs) Also, a discerning of spirits in terms of interacting with other individuals. Chill, sometimes, especially with children, and they haven't learned some of the social graces. Individuals who are children with the, the gift of discerning experience, they're like, I don't like them. <laughs> and they just don't want to have nothing to do with them. Like, no. Like, go to your auntie. No! Because <laughs> they feeling something on them. <laughs> uh, and it's okay, right? Eventually, they get some social grace and they're like, hey, auntie, yeah, just keep, to keep my distance. Individuals who have the gift of discerning of spirits are great to call upon in those moments. And as, as a big C church, we don't always talk about that. But there are people who are part of our church family. What I just described is a normal Wednesday for you when you walk into your office at work. That's called discerning of spirits. And it's the ability to be able to instinctively understand what kind of spirit you're navigating. 
That's what that means. If that's you, then you become an important part of the body of Christ when we start talking about whether or not we're talking to our dead family members. Because there are demons that will do, do what they can to deceive you into believing that you're having a conversation with your daddy and they're, and they're getting you to do stuff that is opposite of God's will for, for, for us. And a person with a discernment of spirit's gifts will say, mm, sorry, sis, that's not your daddy. Sorry, bro, that's not, that's not your brother. I know that that's hard, but that's not them. And so any of us weirded out yet? <laughs> right? Tracy's like, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> so I, if you are an individual who knows, hey, I have that gift of discerning of spirits, and I'm going to ask you to kind of out yourself for a moment, not for, for, for any other reason than for our family to know, because that's an important part of the body of Christ. So if that's something like, you know, hey, that is something that I feel regularly, like I have this gift of discerning of spirits. Okay, great. Absolutely. There's about six of us in the room, seven of us in the room, right? (laughs) Eight of us in the room. There's safety in numbers, right? Don't forget that there is safety in numbers. Do not like, if that's, this is not your area, you feel like I am immature here, and I really, 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 really want to talk to my great-grandmother. Maybe this voice is talking to me. Maybe that. I've never even heard a voice, but it sounds like it could be. <laughs> Call one of your sisters or brothers that has the, discerning, the gift of discerning of spirits and say, hey, I need some help discerning this. Trust me. If they mean no harm to you, they will not be offended by you checking. If they mean harm to you, the goal is to get you alone. That's the rule, right? If they mean no harm to you, they will have no offense by you checking with a sister or brother who is gifted in this space. If they want to do you spiritual harm that can lead to bodily harm, they'll try to get you alone. All right. So the answer to the question is yes, but with caution. Um, and, uh, and now that that's done, um, let's pray. <laughs> Father God, uh, there is nothing hidden from you and nothing you can't see and nothing you don't understand. So Holy Spirit, we can ask you anything. Uh, ultimately, Lord, we seek your wisdom and your understanding. God, there's parts of what this is that make us naturally uneasy and make us naturally uncomfortable. May we not run away from the uneasiness and the discomfort. May we lean into that vulnerability. Because in that vulnerability, God, we get to wrestle with you. And when we wrestle with you, Lord, at the end of it, God, you give us understanding and even sometimes a new name. And so, Lord, give us grace to stay in this place of wrestling. If we are a part of uh, the church family, either here in the building or even um, online, and we are experiencing interaction with spirits and we need assistance, God, give us grace to go together, God, to not navigate it alone. Lord, give us 
discipline to lean into our sisters and brothers who have this gift of discerning of spirits so that ultimately, God, we um, experience um, that which is beyond the natural realm in a way, Lord, that glorifies you, that points to you, that honors you, uh, because we also know that that will be for our good. Um, This is not something that should be uncommon to us as believers. So give us grace to learn how to speak to this with better rhythm um, and better clarity as well. Uh, We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.